0: Coming up on today's episode of the Locked on Bucks podcast, we're talking about a potential trade target, some Jameis Winston debate from ESPN,
1: some changes to the playoff format, and more food questions. If you've been a listener to this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked on to reach sports fans, but you may not know that Locked on Bucks is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Buccaneers fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Buccaneers fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: What's up and welcome back to the Locked on Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Lock on Bucks, at Yarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. David, Chef Aaron tweeted me very unhappy about my chicken take.
1: I saw and I kind of feel bad because I can't remember if it was him or Chris, somebody uh basically presumed to know our answers based off of my liking patterns on twitter i would very much recommend not using that (laughs) as evidence for anything in the future because i will go through and just like some stuff for the sake of like i when when we get on the show we talk about just how much we just appreciate these guys interacting with us and and being such a an integral part of what we do on a day-to-day basis but we're not joking so I would literally like, like I've, I've liked comments who were, who were like, you know, what you guys said on the episode today was stupid. I've liked comments like that before. Cause I just appreciate the interaction to be honest with you. Like that's what makes this fun. So I would be very careful using likes as evidence of agreement or disagreement in the future.
0: Yeah. Cause I think, I think chef assumed that I ran the locked on bucks, Twitter account, And I was like, I went back and I checked my likes. I'm like, I haven't liked anything that would give this away. So I know this isn't me. I mean, granted, chef wasn't wrong in his assumption. But again, as I, you know, with the gift that I tweeted him, I regret nothing. (laughs) I stand by my take.
1: Yeah. 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 And I drove past the Popeye's on the way to work today. And I, for a second, I paused and was like, no, that's, that's just yours asking for trouble. So I continued on my, my merry way. Yeah, I drove by a Popeyes while I was
0: working, and I thought, "Huh, I could spend a fifth of the price and get the same quality out of a McChicken." So I ordered a pizza. <laughs> that's,
1: that's, that's a plot twist. M. Night Shyamalan.
0: Oh, don't com- don't compare me to him. He, <laughs> he he ranks up there with arguably my least favorite filmmakers out there.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, some of bad. them aren't bad. He actually he made a show for apple tv plus or whatever it's called and i have it downloaded on my ipad for the next time i go on a trip i'm gonna watch it while i'm away so we'll yeah. see if it's any good i don't have apple tv i have apple everything yeah
0: i know it's a problem we need to get we need to get that taken care of. but anyway uh we have we have a couple things to talk about today uh, a couple of them are buccaneers related one of them is nfl related and then we had more food questions sent in so why the heck not? Let's tackle some more food debates, but let's kick things off with a voicemail we receive from a very, very familiar voice who we have missed dearly. David James, it's Greco. What's
1: going on, fellas? So we're in that time where uh, a bunch of big time names are getting released or wanting trades, and there's two people I want to ask you about. Josh Norman, I know, cringe, cringe, cringe. And Darius Slay. So tell me what you think about those guys. Are either one of them worth uh, bringing to the Bucks? And how much would that cost? That's another concern. Anyway, tell me what you think about those guys. Talk to you later. Peace. Greco!
0: We missed you, buddy. Um, okay, so you definitely nailed the first part of that voicemail. Uh, Josh Norman, cringe, cringe, cringe. Absolutely not. no. No, no. Just no. Um absolutely zero interest in in Norman becoming a buck. I I don't think his type of how can I put it? His type of attitude and the amount of arrogance he has for somebody that isn't nearly as talented as he thinks he is. I don't
1: think is going to gel very well with the rest of the team. So, I mean, I've never really been, you know, he's never really been a guy I wish to see in a Buccaneer uniform. Uh, I don't know if his his mentality has uh, been humbled at all um, playing in Washington. It doesn't move the needle for me, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that just made a whole heck of a lot of money really off of one one really good year and one great year. And other than that, he's been a run-of-the-mill, middle-of-the-pack, average-at-best corner. So, yeah, absolutely no interest in Josh Norman whatsoever. Now, let's get over to Darius Slay. Because, David, you had something go up on Bucks Nation yesterday about the possibility of the Buccaneers trading for Darius Slay. I will say that I would like the addition of Darius Slay. I would like... The skill set that he brings, the leadership that he brings, the hunger that he has to compete and win, being able to be a leader among a lot of very young guys in the secondary. To me, the issue is going to be what, what would the compensation be and how is it going to be affordable for the Bucs moving forward? You did dive into that quite a bit, especially the um, the amount of money that that Slay is still owed um you know in addition to still needing to pay guys like a quarterback and Chris Godwin and Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul and you know the the laundry list of of needs Darius Slay I wouldn't say is a need so it's kind of hard to talk yourself into the amount of money he would cost when you have all these other guys that that need to be paid ahead of time but dive in a little bit into what you talked about on on Bucks Nation as far as you know how this could go, and and what your thoughts on it are.
1: Well, really, I mean, when when the news broke that Darius Slay was being shopped by the Detroit Lions, which I don't believe has actually been confirmed by uh, Slay or the Detroit Lions, to be honest with you. You know, it, it's just interesting because Darius Slay is a guy that I've been aware of, you know, uh, for for the majority of his career because of of his kind of his personality, his tenacity. Again, if if anybody's been listening to the show for a long period of time going back to the Mike Smith defenses, you know, you and I, James were sitting here pounding the table for a more aggressive approach to defense because um I know I, at least that's, that's my style. I like aggressive defense. I like defenses that blitz. I like defense that play press man coverage. I like people who are, I like schemes. I want to punch the other team in the mouth and kind of force them to make decisions uh on the defensive schedule versus the offensive schedule. And Darius Slay fits that type of scheme. That's kind of player that he is. He's, he's, I mean, his Twitter handle is BigPlaySlay23 for a reason. So, you know, he, he's just the kind of guy that fits. When you think of a Todd Bowles type scheme, he's the kind of guy that fits that scheme. And he gets a little bit of flack, which I covered in, in the post on social media and in the public, because he's not shy about thinking that he's a national football league. He's not shy about thinking that he deserves uh, a big payday. Um, he's not hes not shy about any of those things. But at the end of the day, and we've had this discussion before too, James, fans and media members alike, people on the outside of the locker room, essentially, you know, we, we always say we want the truth. We always want the honesty. You know what I mean? And I understand why players don't. But at the same time, then you have a guy like Darius Slay who is showing you more of who he is than maybe, um, a lot of players do really, honestly. But he's not doing it from a place of arrogance or a, a place of trying to make other people look bad or feel bad or greed. You know what I mean? He this is a young man who has 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 fought against the impression that he wasn't going to make it. Uh, pretty much his entire way up, and then he's been on a on a team that loses more than they win. They're they're not being as as successful as maybe he wants to. But then you look at this defense. This is one of the worst defenses in the National Football League. Yet Darius Slay is still a Pro Bowl uh, cornerback, and he's not a Pro Bowler because he was voted in by a slew of Detroit Lions fans. He was an alternate, which I know it's weird, right? It sounds like counterintuitive is like, how are you going to stand for this guy who was an alternate? Well, because the alternates are picked by players and coaches. So in some ways, right? Being picked as an alternate is almost more of a professional compliment than being picked as a starter. Being picked as a starter means you're sexy. You have a great name or you come from a huge fan base potentially, right? Being picked as an alternate means literally the people who are doing this every day in and out of the building are the ones who picked you. So, I don't know, take that for what it's worth, but I think the fact that a cornerback from one of the worst pass defenses in the National Football League was selected by his peers and other coaches who coached this game uh to to be in that position. So, to me that says a lot about him. Um he's he's not the youngest guy in the world, but he's he's not the oldest guy in the world either. Uh he, he's, you know, he's he's on the right side of 30. This next contract that he gets theoretically will take him over the 30-year mark, but really what I wrote this for was not so much to give an opinion on whether or not it should happen, like from, from me personally, and we can get into our own opinions if you want to, but really it was, is it possible for it to happen? And so diving into that, there was a lot of layers to this thing. And first and foremost was scheme fit, because at the end of the day, that's, that's really what I'm most interested in is, does this guy fit the mentality? Does he fit the scheme? We've already covered that. Yes, he, he does. Hands down, he fits the scheme to a T. Then there's the the compensation side, which is what the Detroit Lions are going to want, and then there's the financials of what Darius Slay is going to want. My prediction um, is fifteen and a half million. Um, that would make him the highest paid cornerback in the league on average. And there have kind of been a couple of tweets out there that are like maybe you know Darius will get fifteen, fifteen point one, fifteen point two, and he's already kind of responded of like you guys aren't going high enough, ha ha ha. Um, obviously you know he would probably want like 16 16 and a half 17 but i think 15 and a half is probably more realistic to where the number is going to come in especially when you consider that the team trading for him is going to have to give up draft capital in the process uh what the lions want for him i can't imagine that in february they're going to take anything less than a first round pick and involved in some swaps here and there in the later rounds but And what I wrote in the piece is as you get closer to the draft time, as you get closer to April, listen, this team is in a situation where the murmurs on the streets are that Darius Slay is not playing without a new contract period. He's not a free agent, so they can't tag him. Uh, He's, he's, he's got one year left on his deal. So it's either resign him or move him to somebody who will resign him is essentially the position that Darius Slay is putting Detroit, the Detroit lions in. And We've seen guys hold out before, right? We've seen the Lev Bells hold out. We saw Melvin Gordon hold out, stuff like that. And it didn't work. So fans, their their initial reactions, I mean, yeah, yeah, we've heard players say they're going to hold out before. Here's the thing. We've seen players say they're going to hold out before, but rarely do you see players hold out where the coach is literally in a fight for their career. And Matt Patricia is not in a position to be trifling around with any player. Like, if Darius Slay is a part of the Detroit Lions, Matt Patricia needs him on the field. If Darius Slay is not part of the Detroit Lions, Matt Patricia needs to get the draft capital to draft players who are going to be on the field. Matt Patricia is not in a position, and I would I would venture to say neither is his general manager, to have a star player sitting on the shelf for one, two, three, four, five, six games. It doesn't matter how many games Darius Slay says he'll sit out or actually ends up sitting out at the end of the day. Because Matt Patricia and I would like I said I would argue that the general manager in Detroit they can't have that like you can't come from the season they just came from because essentially they got a reprieve because of Matthew Stafford's injury. If you come out there and you get Matthew Stafford back, and you don't trade Darius Slay and you don't re-sign Darius Slay, and he sits out, and now Justin Coleman, who don't get me wrong, very solid young cornerback, not a shut down guy with one of the worst defenses in the league, add some draft players to it, you're not going to be able to free up all the cap room cuz you still got slay on your on your on your books and now you're missing your best defender. You're, it's not going to go well for you. Is 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 the bottom line from a stats standpoint, from a wins-loss r- record standpoint, and now you've got the drama boiling up in the media and the fan base that your star player, that one of your best players is sitting out. It's a, it's a recipe to get fired. So the only way that Matt Patricia can end this Darius Slay situation, um, which isn't the people have a feeling it's going to start getting there if if there's not a resolution soon, is you either pay the man, you lock him him in as a lion for the next three to five years, and you roll forward and you do the best you can with what you got left after that, or you trade him, and you trade him before the NFL draft. The other teams know this. The other general managers know this. The other coaches know this. Nobody's going to overpay for Darius Slay in February. Nobody's gonna overpay for him in March. It, I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see that you know this thing move to where Darius Slay, if he's not re-signed by the Lions, that this is a trade that happens a day or two before the NFL draft actually kicks off. And you end up seeing maybe a swap of first round draft picks with some other stuff in there versus just getting a first round pick from somebody outright. Um, those are just kind of my initial thoughts on the Darius Slay thing. Obviously, I put a lot of thought into this, but it wasn't even so much like I said, a, a an endorsement of bringing him on. It was just a matter of could the Buccaneers bring him on? And from my research, yes, they could. Um, now, what I wanted to know from you, I've already got some. I've already got this from some of our listeners and our readers. What I want to know from you is what you think. So I laid out how the, the Buccaneers can make it happen, but I would like to know: Do you think they should make it happen? Given everything that I laid out um, in, in the in the post, I'm going to say no. Now, again, that is not to
0: say that I I wouldn't want Darius Slay on this team. It's not to say that I don't think Darius Slay would improve this team. I think he would, absolutely. But I don't think the Buccaneers are in a situation right now where they can afford to sacrifice that kind of draft capital. We don't know what the situation is at quarterback. We don't know what the situation is with Shaq Barrett or Jason Pierre-Paul. We don't know the situation with Chris Godwin. You know, we we still have question marks at right tackle and running back. The Buccaneers cannot afford, especially if the asking price is a first round pick, because you know, if if the Bucks give up their first in exchange for Slay and the Lions fourth, you know, that's not gonna cut it. The Bucs can't wait until day two of the NFL draft to make their first selection. There's too many needs, especially if quarterback hasn't been addressed or you're sitting there with Jameis on the franchise tag. Because I can promise you this, if Jameis Winston is sitting there with the franchise tag on him heading into the season, they are drafting a quarterback. And we will know well before the draft what what has transpired. So you you can't give up that first-round pick and sacrifice the ability to potentially draft a quarterback that falls in your lap or draft an offensive tackle that falls in your lap. You have to have that pick the the team that gives up a first rounder for slay is going to be in a we are one or two pieces away and we can afford to get rid of this draft pick. That's the situation they're going to be in. It's going to be one of the teams that made the playoffs last year. You know, it's going to be a san francisco it's going to be a seattle it's going to be a potentially a new orleans um not not anyone in the top 20 so i would i would love slay but if if that's what the lions are asking and like you said teams know that the lions have to crap or get off the pot with this guy and they either have to unload him or they have to re-sign him and if they're trying to unload him they're going to have to take the best offer on the table, which may not be a first-round pick. That's when I think it would start to get interesting, and that's when I would want the Buccaneers to get involved. But is he worthy of first-round compensation? I absolutely believe so. But teams aren't stupid. General managers aren't stupid. And if they know that the Lions can't re-sign him and have to move him, then they're going to start lowballing, and Detroit will eventually have to make a decision and move him
1: for the best possible deal that they can get. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, so as far as whether or not I would want Darius Slay on the Buccaneers, the easy answer is yes, of course I want Darius Slay. Now, do I want Darius Slay at the price that they're going to pay? And that's kind of why I dove into this because it's not as simple as just paying the man. 15 and a half million on average over the next 5 years. Um because I'm not going to lie if he if he's a free agent and he's looking, he's going out there looking for 15 and a half, 16 million, I would honestly say yeah, I would I would be willing to pay that. Um and and even understanding that paying Darius Slay 15 and a half million on average per year over the next 5 years means you're probably not re-signing Sue. It means you're probably not re-signing Carl Nassib and Uh, it may even be, you know, the push that kind of gets camera break off the books. Um, I'd be willing to take that and, and, and I wanted, it was interesting because, uh, earlier today before we started recording, um, so I share a lot of what I write on Facebook and in Facebook groups and one of those Facebook groups, I know you're feeling about Facebook groups, but, um, is, is the loose cannons Facebook group and one reader, one listener, uh, commented, and I'm going to I'm going to try not to butcher your last name, bro. Um, but his name is Raymond Vandemheen. Make it and his initial reaction was, yes, let's gut the team elsewhere to pay for a luxury that they absolutely do not need. Do they need a veteran presence? Yes, absolutely. But not a number one corner. I love this part. Come on, David. You're better than this. and I love it. Um, <laughs> and I replied to him and I said, just a discussion piece. But I dig the passion. And he responded with the passion is there because of how high you and James are in my pod depth chart. You guys just get it and you know your stuff. So I was just very surprised to see this piece was from you. I love this part too. James, maybe to stir up the S word, but not you laugh out loud. And I wrote, I appreciate that. And I'll say that I don't necessarily think any option isn't worth exploring. We're actually talking about this on the episode, which we're doing right now. And then he he dropped that. He was making soft tacos for dinner, which I love. Nice. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, listen, and, but that's the thing about it, guys. Like if, so as, like we talked about, as this gets closer to the NFL draft if the the lions don't find a buyer sooner or if they don't just cave and re-sign Darius by himself i don't i mean there is a third option there where Darius comes out he's like all right all right listen i will play my final year in detroit everybody calm down i don't see that happening honestly i also don't see Darius being the guy to sit out six games like i think worst case scenario is Darius sits out 3 or 4 games and then comes back um, and that's the limit i would put it at to be honest with you And if the Lions know that or assume that, that, I mean, you know, again, leverage is a back and forth thing, like Joe Burrow says. That being said, so first round draft pick. So if the Buccaneers have to spend a a number 14 overall and pay him $15.5 million, I agree. I say no. I say it's too rich. Uh, The Buccaneers definitely have too many things going on that they need to do with draft capital to spend all that draft capital and cap space on one player, even if he is, I believe, one of the best corners. I don't know that I would say he's the best, but I haven't really gone through and ranked him either. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that he's not, but definitely one of the best corners in the National Football League. He's been a pro bowler for the last three years running. He was an all pro uh, three years ago. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, granted, you know, wheels fall off eventually, but I don't think his wheels are wobbling just yet. So, first round draft pick, no, I would not do that. For 14th, even if the Lions were to throw in their second, which is the 35th overall pick, you're still dropping down 21 spots. I would still call that too rich. However, if we get into late March, early April, April 15th, 18th rolls around, James, would you, here's, here's the, here's the, this is, this is how my brain works. I, I love going through these, these, these transaction possibilities. I would not be averse to giving the lions a 2020 third round pick. Giving him a 2021 second round pick, and then maybe swapping like we'll give you a sixth, you give us a seventh. You know what I mean? Something like one of those kind of like throwaway deals where it's like a kicker. Like you you got you got you got you got uh, you got you know you got I don't know three three sevens and we'll throw the jack in there as a kicker. You know what I mean? Just something to spice the spice the deal up a little bit. How does that sound to you?
0: Well, for starters, I'm a little offended that the guy said that that I just like to stir up crap (laughs) i i I just try to be as honest and transparent as i can on this podcast and if that happens to stir anything then it does but i don't (laughs) do it just for the sake of doing it
1: i will agree with that you know what though your popeyes chicken sandwich talk you got there was a point during your popeyes talk where you reminded me of you know, remember the episode where Dwight Schrute receives his award from like the Northeastern Sales Association or whatever
0: yeah I just watched it uh, yesterday yeah actually.
1: like part Wait, of Jim gives him the Benito s- Mussolini yep, speech Yep, you were talking Popeyes <laughs> and I'm telling you part of, I was just waiting to hear you slam the desk in the background I was just waiting for it
0: uh,
1: that is something I would do
0: um, but again it, it was an honest take for me that's how I truly honestly feel um, okay <clears throat> Excuse me, a twenty twenty third, a twenty twenty one second,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then like a, a Lions fifth for the Bucks sixth kind of kicker thing, like you like you were talking about. Okay, yeah, e- yes, I'm not hesitating. I'm yeah. doing that. I would I would go so far as to do. What if they did this? I don't know. I don't know if this is something that the Lions would be interested in. But what if what if they did? A 2023, a 2021 fourth and break in exchange for Slay
1: and the Lions 2021 third. I mean, you never know. You know what I mean? Um, that's that's the kind of thing. Like, and you have that capital, like you have a player in camera break that you can flip and you don't have to worry about the, the dead cap situation because he doesn't have any. So, you have the ability to flip a player like that and kind of use him as an earmarker, a, a, as a replacement for draft capital, keep your draft capital. You still have OJ Howard if, if the team's confident in him moving forward. And, and on, on top of that, you're offsetting
0: some of the cost of Slay by
1: no longer right. having Braid on
0: the books. That's the yeah. big thing that you have to look at.
1: Yeah. Because you drop that money and essentially you can almost look at it as that first year. And I mean, again, that's 15 and a half million on average over the life of the contract. Honestly, with a 90 million, you know, give or take cap situation, I would probably see the Buccaneers paying out an amount that people are going to give them crap for. Like you're probably, you would probably look at like a 17, 18 million year one hit uh, for, for Darius, but that's going to put you in that position where in year four or year five, kind of like what the Redskins just did. If you need to move on, you can do so without killing your books. um, so, yeah. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing that can happen. Like right now in February. Yes, I think you're talking the Bucks got to give up 14. They'll get Darius Slay. Maybe they'll get like a fifth next year or something in return on top of it. You know, something like that. But as you get closer, that's the thing to remember is as you get closer, these teams start. You look at Josh Rosen last year. The the Arizona Cardinals came into it wanting a first round pick. Like This dude was a top 10 pick last year. He hasn't been injured. There's nothing you know, to suggest he's not the same type of guy. He's still on his rookie deal. Don't be ridiculous, guys. Come on. Don't screw us over. And there he is, day two, finally getting moved for much less than they wanted. Uh, Darius Slay, again, even if he's one of the top cornerbacks in the league, he's not an Antonio Brown. He's not putting points on the board. His job is to keep points off the board. So, I mean, there's, just, there's a lot of things that go into it. And at the end of the day, I think really the biggest influencer, though, is if the Lions know, and again, right now these are just rumors to us, so take it all with a grain of salt, but if the fact is that Darius Slay is not playing with the new contract, and the Lions also know that Darius Slay's personality kind of says, don't push me. He, he, he's kind of the guy that says, okay, dare me to do it and watch what I do. That puts the Lions in a precarious position. Something that's going to hurt things? The Lions and the Bucks play in 2020. So, you know, nobody nobody likes to trade away a star player and then get beat. By said star player in the same season, especially when your coach's job is on the line. So I don't know how much that's going to play into it, but I mean those are all just wrinkles of it. Like I said, I wrote it because I wanted to dive into it because I felt like there were layers to it that would just be really interesting, and that's really what it was, and that's really what I was like what I was referring to Raymond. Like a lot of guys have commented on it on Facebook, on Twitter, on on the Buck Station comments. I love it, and some of them are like, "No, this is stupid." Some of them are like, "Man, I love Slay, but I think it's too expensive." And that's all it it was—the conversation piece. I want to see. First, I wanted to go through myself and see if my hypothesis would match my result which it did and that darius slay definitely fits and it could actually happen uh and without gutting the team honestly like yeah losing a dominican losing you know pr- potentially jason pierre paul but this team can still they could still pull in a darius slay, pay that salary keep jason pierre paul and find a quarterback and by my estimations, you would still probably have, let's do the math as you carry the one, you're still going to have about $30 million in cap space to play with before you have to start getting worried. I mean, uh, I don't know, Getting figuring out your quarterback position, getting an all-pro caliber cornerback in your young secondary and giving up you know decent draft capital, but kind of minimal draft capital at the same time, and still having about $30 million to go out and make another splash signing if you want to. I think it's pretty good. That's a pretty good haul. And yeah, you lose and Dom can Sue, but then you take that 14th pick and that's kind of why I threw out the deal I did. Cuz you take that 14th pick and Javon Kinlaw or guy Hardy, which I think he's going to be, then you take that 14th pick, you move back to 22, 23, 24 somewhere in that range, you recoup that 2023rd. 20, 20 so now you've got that third back and you you trade back a little bit, you get yourself a defensive player maybe maybe an Xavier McKinney to play safety out of Alabama maybe a Caleb on chase on if he's still available. There's a lot of talent in the first round of this draft this year. Maybe you get an offense tackle like Andrew Thomas. There's a lot of opportunities out there. Hell, maybe you trade back again. I mean, if you're, if you're sitting at 24, trade back again to 29 or 30, grab a fourth or a fifth round draft pick in the process. Take Jacob Easton at 29 or 30. Now you have that fifth year deal, that fifth year of his contract because he's a first round draft pick instead of a second round draft pick. And then you come into day two and three with six or seven more draft picks to go. Uh, after you get your compensatory pick, I mean, there's a lot of things that can be uh, can be dealt and a lot of wheeling that can be done. And Jason Light is known for liking to play the draft game, um, so I wouldn't count it out. I just wouldn't go buying yourself a custom Darius like jersey either. Uh, but I just I just thought it was interesting to talk about it and to look at. It. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, those of you who read it and are listening to this right now are finding it interesting as well, even if it's not a. A predictive type of thing, because um, not everything's for predictions. A lot of it's just for. I mean, James, we're doing thirty for thirty free agents. The Buccaneers are not signing thirty free agents, but we're doing the thirty because we want to cast a wide net and discuss the potential possibility of of these players. Um, and then if they do sign, we have a head start on getting to know them a little bit because we've already done some research on
0: them. All right, well, David, we spent a lot of time on that one. We still have more topics that we need to tackle, so let's go ahead and jump over to some audio from uh espn radio and something that they talked about earlier on uh on wednesday teddy's an interesting sticking point for me in this offseason because we know the quarterback hierarchy tom
2: brady's the first domino we're waiting to fall philip rivers is probably not far after that then we get to an interesting spot and trey brought this up earlier and i want to ask you marcus because i i don't know which side of this you're on if Jameis winston becomes available and you've got the choice after those first through of a guy like Jameis Winston who has played markedly more football, but we know the flaws versus a guy like Teddy Bridgewater who's trying to work back to what we think he can be. Which one of those would you be more willing to bet on? Teddy Bridgewater. Huh. Um, I know people are going, look, I've heard it said. And see, this is the thing. This is what kills me when I'm not on TV, right? When I hear people <laughs> say, well, Must it's, say only, things. it's only been a few 5,000-yard passers. Yeah. And it's only been um and Peyton Manning threw just as many interceptions in his first five years and all of that. Man, we just, did we not just watch Jameis throw 30 interceptions? First member at, of the 30, 30. At point. what point do you address the fact that Jameis Winston now he had Lacey. I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm oh, not yeah, trying to be funny. That's real. Um maybe that helps him. And maybe that was an issue. And if it was, you got a damn good quarterback. But if it wasn't, you got a dude that's going to throw 15 to, I don't want to say 30. That's 15 to 20 interceptions a year. Can you win with that? No, you cannot win with that. Turnover margin is the biggest discrepancy between winning and losing in this game. You have to have a premium on taking care of the ball. Just like we talked about Teddy just now. You know what Teddy didn't do in them starts? Turn the football over you give your cha- you give your team a better chance to win what i'm interested in is this when bruce arians went to tampa everybody was on board we was like if if anybody can get james weston to play at a high level it's bruce Arians. yeah he he couldn't i mean the production obviously was there but but when you come into the sideline and your quarterback coming off a three interception game, a four interception game, and you looking at you looking at your offensive coordinator Byron Lefwich and you asking yourself, what can we do to protect this guy? Nothing. Because you've been doing it way before you got there. that offense well, with every weapon Oh possible, goodness, by yeah, yeah, every weapon, Goodwin, every level. And and Mike Evans. You had were two. Oh, you had two Pro Bowl wide receivers in the same offense. You have two tight ends that James ain't throwing him would picks to. for lack of uh, talent around him. See that that's the problem with Jameis. Two things there. Number one, it's not like that. This season was a one-off. Since 2015, he's had more turnovers, interceptions, and fumbles than anybody in the league, yeah. and it ain't even close. He's got, I think, a double-digit lead or close to it over Philip Rivers.
0: All right, that was uh, Wingo and Golick with their guest uh, Marcus Spears. And, David, you and I both noticed the same thing. When the question was brought up, Marcus Spears did not hesitate. The answer was Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. And I know people are gonna be mad about it. Oh, well, Teddy doesn't fit Bruce Arian system and Teddy has noodle arm and Teddy can't throw it yada yada yada. The point that, that Spears was making is one hundred percent valid. The Bucks turnover margin this past season was the difference between a playoff berth and a seven and nine record. You can't have your quarterback turning the ball over 30-plus times. And people can say, well, that's an anomaly. And that may be true. That may absolutely be true because before this season, had Jameis ever thrown 30 interceptions in a season? No, absolutely not. But had Jameis ever thrown for 5,000 yards in a season either? You can point to that as being an anomaly as well. You know, you can play this game both ways, everyone. You can play this, oh, well, you know, 30 interceptions will never happen again. Well, 5,000 yards may never happen again either. But when you take a look at what Teddy Bridgewater did with New Orleans, he started five games and went 5-0 with nine touchdowns and two interceptions. Okay? He had 7.1 yards per attempt. Not crazy great. Not not eye-popping. He had seven and a half air yards per attempt. Again, not not staggering. That's not going to blow you away. You're not drafting Teddy Bridgewater right behind Patrick Mahomes in your fantasy draft. He had a long of 45 yards. Same thing. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't give the ball to the other team. And you can talk about his arm strength all you want. You can talk about how Arians loves to go deep. We we dove into that yesterday. It may mean that you're relying a little bit more on yards after the catch. That may mean that you're releasing the football a fraction of a second sooner to give it time to get there because you don't have the arm power of a Jameis Winston. But at the end of the day, it's the smart decisions. It's the smart reads And it's the protection of the football that is the difference for this football team. And we're going to get into it in a second. Had these new rules been in effect last season, the Bucs are still on the outside looking in because your quarterback gave the ball away 30 times. And even if you want to blame half of them on the receivers for running the wrong route or bobbling the ball or whatever the case may be, he's still in the top five in the NFL. You can cut them in half, and he's still top five. Say what you want about the LASIK surgery. I don't care. Him fixing his eyeballs did not fix his brain. It did not fix his inability to not stare down his receiver or not be late on timing routes that have been the cause of some of these turnovers. That's why I get so tired of this debate on Twitter. Nobody cares what the Twitter GMs say is or is not a good fit for Bruce Arians' system. The only person whose opinion is worth a damn is Bruce Arians. And I'm not going to sit here on on some sort of soapbox and say that I, I want nobody but Teddy Bridgewater under center. But this conversation is going to continue to happen, and the Bucs are going to have interest in a guy that showed he can win games against good opponents by taking care of the football and moving his team up and down the field. They weren't blowout wins. They weren't putting up 35 points a game. No, no. They were winning those grinded-out games because their quarterback wasn't an idiot and turned the ball over on the first possession five straight games. He wasn't throwing pick sixes in the fourth quarter. He protected the football and did what had to be done to win the game. Five starts, one fourth quarter comeback, two game-winning drives. 40% of his wins as a starter last season came with game-winning drives in the fourth quarter. That's why people talk about taking Teddy Bridgewater over Jameis Winston throw your Bruce Arians offense theories out the window because they don't matter. The coach said it himself. My scheme is my players. My players don't get forced into fitting a scheme. And if that means a few less deep balls and more methodical, time-consuming drives to keep guys like Drew Brees and Matt Ryan on the sideline, even better. Because now you're not putting as much pressure on your defense. You're holding on to the ball for half of a quarter to move down the field and score seven, then send your fresh defense out there to let it rip. Play with a lead. So, yeah, I don't I don't blame Marcus Spears one bit in his opinion. And, you know, Wingo nailed it. LASIK isn't going to change the decision-making. There's a reason Jameis Winston has turned the ball over more than any other quarterback since he came into the league. And you can point to, well, there's no running game in the offensive line and yada, yada, yada. There isn't a quarterback in this league that has more elite weapons than Jameis Winston did in 2019 and he turned the ball over more than ever. There's one common denominator. So you can't get mad when people talk about wanting Teddy Bridgewater. There's a reason they do, and it's because they see That he protects the football, and he can win football games. And that's what matters, right? Nobody gives a crap if you're an FSU fan. Nobody gives a crap how many Jameis Winston jerseys you bought. At the end of the day, the team is going to do what's best for the team. He wouldn't be the first player that, that fans loved that was shown the door. He won't be the last either. If he indeed is not brought back. Was that enough stirring for you, David?
1: I I mean I suppose. Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so I thought what Marcus had to say was was very interesting as well. Um you know when when you look at, at James Winston's body of work uh I mean it it's it's just it's just a fact of the game that you can't turn the ball over, you can't give away possessions. I mean and yeah, I mean James Winston gave away two games worth of of possessions. Uh you can't you can't do that. You know, I mean when, when you total up the amount of drives that James Winston gave away in interceptions and then, and then fumbles, you're talking two plus games, actually, to be honest with you, you're talking two plus games worth of offensive possessions that James Winston was responsible for. But it, it but you're right. It's not a stats game. It, it's not a stats game. It's a results game. And everybody knows that every, every coach that gets fired talks about, you know, it's a performance. Basically every player that gets cut traded, wants more money talks about it's a performance, basically. And James knows this. All right. And stats don't get you paid. Results get you paid as a quarterback, especially stats as a wide receiver might get you paid stats as a cornerback on a losing team on one of the worst passing defenses might get you paid. But as a quarterback, it's results. And at the end of the day, guys, uh, these comments by Marcus kind of made me dive a little bit more into those turnovers. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to bring these numbers out, but I want to bring them out today. Winston Jameis Winston accounted for fewer than two turnovers. So that's one turnover or no turnovers seven times this year, seven times. The Buccaneers went four and three in those games. So, you know, if you extrapolate that data, that takes you to about 10 and six ballpark. Um, if, when Jameis Winston uh, has fewer than two turnovers in a single game. Okay. In games where he has two or more turnovers. All right, he did that nine times in 2019. The Buccaneers were three and six. And the three wins they got came against non playoff teams. So that kind of illustrates just how important those turnovers are in relation to whether or not the Buccaneers are successful or not in in, in a total in a total team sense. Uh, again, no stat, no measurement is percent definitive of anything. And that's again one of the things that makes any Jameis Winston conversation become frustrating. Uh, because at the same time, you look at it, and Teddy Bridgewater has a career 2.3% interception rate. Jameis Winston has a 3.5% interest rate, um, interest rate, percentage rate. Uh, 1.2% higher than Teddy Bridgewater's first career, right? On the flip side though. Jameis Winston has a 4.7% touchdown rate and Teddy Bridgewater touchdown rate. So while Jameis has a 1.2% higher percentage rate of interceptions, he's also got a 1.1% higher rate of touchdowns. So it's 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 a kind of a back and forth there. And really what I, what I think at the end of the day, and this is what makes the Buccaneers game plan for the offseason so difficult to really pinpoint is it really depends on who the quarterback is going to be. And Bruce Arians has already talked about it recently that it's hard to, to pinpoint who the quarterback is going to be because you're really not going to know until those that like legal tampering period of free agency. Because while I'm sure that there are some backdoor conversations, backroom conversations happening anyway... Really, you're not going to get into the meat of it until that first day of legal tampering, and then it's you know the Colts go out and they agree to terms with Phillip Rivers, and and the Raiders go out and agree to terms with Tom Brady, and Teddy Bridgewater goes out and agrees to terms with the Los Angeles Chargers, and and so on and so forth, and then now the Buccaneers are looking around the the market and they're okay, well, which teams that we think to, are going to take quarterbacks in the draft got veterans, and is that veteran going to keep them from taking a quarterback in the draft anyway? Like there's about eight or nine quarterbacks available this off season, be from free agency or the draft or rumored to be on the trade market guys like Andy Dalton. And there are about six or seven teams that need a quarterback. So in theory, every team should be able to get a quarterback. The problem with that theory is there are going to be multiple teams who take two of them, who get a free agent veteran and draft a guy or like the Bengals draft a guy and keep your, your veteran. You know what I mean? So that's that's the problem with this whole thing, because if you get Teddy Bridgewater, in my opinion, then you need to invest in an offensive line. So you need to invest if there's an Andrew Thomas a worse, if there if there's one of those guys, Makai Becton available at 14, you need to pull a trigger on that guy. And then the second round, if there's a J.K. Dobbins or a Swift, if they if one of those guys is available, then you draft that guy because you pair him with Rojo, you give him a better offensive line. Teddy Bridgewater. Now he's he can he can sit back there and steer a little bit better. Again, like you said, eat more time off the clock. You're not going to throw a sixty yard bomb. But listen, guys, we talk about NFL quarterbacks having weak arms. You to be successful in the NFL, the minimum criteria is: can you hit the end zone from the opposite forty? Can you throw a sixty yard pass? Teddy Bridgewater can throw a sixty yard pass. Okay, like I've seen it. YouTube some stuff. There's highlights out. You can see Teddy Bridgewater throw a sixty yard pass. He can do it. Uh, would I make it a regular part of his repertoire? No, I wouldn't. But again, guys, Jameis Winston's longest air completion was 50, 58 yards last year. That's as long as air completion. That's not even from the opposing 40. All right. So yes, Bruce Arians likes to take shots, but also remember pretty much every single play that Bruce Arians, Byron Love, have in their offense has a hot read. Hot reads are short. Hot reads are not long. You don't ever call a nine route as a hot read. That's not a hot read. Um, well, I guess if you want to call it a fade Uh, anyway, um, that means that we're opening the door as a coach and accord as a coach and a coordinator for your quarterback's brain to observe, analyze, and make a decision. Um, however, my favorite James, and, and you've known this for a little while is Derek Carr. And if the Las Vegas Raiders do in fact go after Tom Brady, and then you assume they probably draft a guy in the second or third round, uh, to be the heir apparent to Tom Brady. Um, Derek Carr becomes available. He's gonna be available for cheaper as far as draft capital is concerned, because again, it's like a situation that Detroit has with Slay where everybody knows that they have to move him essentially. Uh, you can't take a guy who's had a C on his chest for that franchise for so long, put him on the bench and think that everything's gonna be okay. You gotta move him. And you take Derek Carr, that's 21 million, and he's 2120, and his contract actually gets cheaper in the next two years, uh, not more expensive and then it gives you three years of Derek Carr to figure out if he's the guy moving forward into his mid-30s and you know so on and so forth, uh, then I think you invest in defense. I still think maybe you take a J.K. Dobbins um, or something like that in the second round if they're available, but you can invest in your defense because who knows how to manipulate the field, knows how to read, knows how to use weapons. We've seen it, guys. We've seen Derek Carr with an offense full of weapons and what he can do with those weapons. If he's given the opportunity, he didn't get that opportunity under John Gruden. Um, So anyway, so that's, that's my preference and that's how it adjusts your, your game plan. Um, Jameis Winston, to me with Jameis Winston, there's no good answer because if you tag him, you're, you're putting him on a prove it deal. Do we really think that Jameis Winston on a prove it deal is going to play less hero ball than he already has being a first-round draft pick with five years of his future secured? I think so. I think you're going to get more hero ball. And then or, you've wasted
0: a year because you know it's going to lead to the turnovers and you're going to miss the playoffs, and now you're
1: back to square one. Potentially. Or you extend him for three years of locked in money, right? As in you can't move on from because of the dead, dead dead money situation to five years of probably total contract life. And if you extend him, then you're going all in on him. And something that if you guys if you guys watch so we really so this audio clip really focused on the meat of what Marcus Spears said. But as you guys heard Trey Wingo started to talk talk a little had more conversation after that too. So if you want to go back and find a clip, you know I encourage you to but I didn't want to play 10 minutes of these guys talking about James Winston I wanted to kind of get at the meat of it um but one of the things that Marcus kind of got into and, and remember guys this is a guy who played for the Dallas Cowboys uh, played in the NFL soccer, he's been around organizations no he's not in the Bucks organization but this is a guy who knows the business and he kind of went out there and said if you are behind your if you are sold on your quarterback you don't hide that and this isn't a situation like you can't sign James Winston to a 3 year deal and call it done Jameis is is looking for a future but if you are signed like I can't imagine feeling comfortable signing a guy for five or six years not knowing if he's actually the answer to your franchise that's more dangerous than moving on from a guy knowing that he hasn't reached his full potential yet honestly to me that's more dangerous and then again like I said a one-year deal a franchise tag you're, you're putting your quarterback in a corner. And these are the things I don't like about John Gruden's management style. Going back to his time with the Buccaneers, James, you and I have talked about this. Quarterbacks never feel comfortable under John Gruden. Quarterbacks never feel like they're 100% in control of their destiny under John Gruden. They always feel like they got to look over their shoulder. They always feel like there's a guy coming up behind their back ready to take their job at a moment's notice. And it's because John Gruden creates that, that environment. For some reason, he believes that that's what makes great quarterbacks. I don't know what it is. Um, I can say that nah, because he won a Super Bowl with Brad Johnson and a awesome defense. When has John Gruden had a had a had a world beater quarterback since? I mean, I know he's considered like a quarterback guru, but honestly, has John Gruden ever developed an all pro quarterback?
0: I I'd have to go back through and see who he coached back before he became a head coach. I want to say he helped develop Favre, but I could be
1: wrong. Oh, Brett Favre, the guy who does nothing but turn the ball over and won one Super Bowl off the back of the league's best defense that year. Yikes. Shots fired. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, Brett Favre was very entertaining and and he did a lot of good things. The the same, you know, but again, uh, if you have a quarterback that is required to have a number one defense to be successful, you don't have the best quarterback in the league. You have a quarterback that's very entertaining. And that's what Brett Favre was. Um, but yeah, so that's just that's just kind of where and and I and I know you know some of our listeners probably can turn this off by now. I mean, but it's a conversation that needs to be had. And James, you're 100 right. Like Bruce Arians is not sitting in his office or at home or on the golf course listening to us talk right now, going, "Oh, that's a really good point, David." Um, but it doesn't mean it's not worth conversing because this is how we exercise our football brains, and now we can take what we observe and then when the results happen. We find out why they happened, how they happened, the way they happened, and where the coaches were coming from. And you get a little bit smarter about the people you're covering. This is only our second full year covering Bruce Arians. So, you know, uh, who who the the chances that we know exactly what are going through his brain are slim to none. But I think we have a little bit of an idea of, of how he works by now versus last January. And I can tell you that I don't believe Bruce Arians is ready to give the keys to the card of the franchise to a guy who's going to give the ball to the opponent uh, as many times as Jameis Winston has. LASIK, could it help him? Like Mark Spears said, yes, it could help him. You're not going to find out if Jameis Winston is a better quarterback because of that LASIK until August at the earliest, September, October, really. And the Buccaneers don't have that much time. So as far as not a part of this equation, it just can't be.
0: All right. Well, David, we need to move on and uh, talk a little bit about some NFL news.
1: Super bonus double executive edition of the Locked On Books podcast for Thursday. Goodness gracious. That was a lot of words. Who says there's nothing to talk about this time of year? Everybody. All right.
0: Per Adam Schefter. Of ESPN. The NFL playoff structure is on the verge of changing. Under the current CBA proposal, each conference would have seven teams in the playoffs with only the one seeds getting by weeks. It would go into effect in the 2020 season if the CBA is indeed agreed upon. Schefter went on to say more details. Under the current CBA proposal that NFL owners are pushing for, the playoff field would be expanded to seven teams, that's per conference, while the regular season would be increased to 17 games per team, with the preseason being shortened to three games per team. Under the current Transformational CBA proposal that NFL owners are pushing for, there would be more drama at the end of the regular season and six games on wild card weekend. So you would have three wild card games on Saturday, three wild card games on Sunday. Now, this is a deal that I can absolutely see the players buying into. The owners have wanted 18 game seasons. Sounds like 17 is kind of that sweet middle ground because the players want to get rid of the preseason. There's kind of your compromise. Look, we'll take away one preseason game. We're going to add on an extra regular season game. Now, I don't know how that's going to affect compensation because that means the players under contract now would be playing one extra game for the amount of money in their contract. There's going to have to be some sort of arrangement there to get a prorated amount, maybe have the, the prorated amount per player added up and that won't count against the cap, you know, for 2020. I'm not sure how they're going to work that out, but players are going to love the idea of having an additional chance at making the postseason. It's going to make the NFL a lot of money, which in turn will make the players more money. Um, this is a proposal that I can absolutely see working out. You know, there's going to be more fighting for that one seed to ensure that buy because how how important is it going to be to be that number one seed, a, a seed that we've seen represented in the in the Super Bowl, I believe, the last six consecutive years by at least one of the conferences to be the only team to get the buy and to watch you know, six other teams beat the snot out of each other on wild card weekend while you get to rest up and then you get to go play one of those six teams. That's a huge, huge benefit. We already talked about what a big benefit it is for the two seed to get a buy as well. And then you have your your bottom two division winners going up against your two wild cards. Well now you're gonna have four division winners, three wild card teams and uh, a nonstop fight to the end. There's not going to be any resting the starters if you're sitting in that two seed and you have an opportunity to get the one. You have to play your stars in week 17 to try to secure the one seed and get yourself that buy, or guess what? You're playing in the following week. So a lot of, of information is starting to pour out about this potential CBA avoiding a lockout because we've talked on this show, we have talked on on the website numerous times about how a a lot of people feel that there's going to be a lockout, that there's going to be a labor stoppage in the NFL like we saw a few years ago, but that it could actually start to spill into the season. It looks like owners and players are a little more willing to play ball right now and kind of give a little, get a little in this new CBA so that there is no work stoppage, there is no lockout, and business will continue as normal. And if this effect goes into the 2020 season, I think this could be the most exciting year of football we have seen in quite a while.
1: Yeah, I mean, expanding the playoffs, I think, was the easiest part of the new CBA proposal because like you already said, it, it helps everybody. It helps the networks, it helps the owners. It helps the fans. It helps the players. You know, no player is going to not agree to expanded playoffs. So, you know, that's, that's, that's too easy. Um, the shortened preseason and the 17th game, you know, I think that's really kind of where you're going to get the, the, the hesitation or whatever. Cause you know, you already see week 16, gets kind of boring Um, week seven or uh, not week 16, week 17, game 16, game 17, uh, you know, has has the risk to be even more boring, to be honest with you, depending on the gap in the divisions. But, uh, you know, I mean, hey, I'm always more I'm always for more football until we get too crazy about it. And I don't think this is crazy. So, yeah, uh, looking forward to it. Hopefully it works out. Hopefully it happens. And I'll admit I'm one of them. I mean, James, I started talking to you offline last year saying. Enjoy the next two seasons of football because that's all you got after that for a little while while the strike or the lockout's going on. Because I've been predicting since 2018, uh, before the 2019 season, that yeah, that uh, 2021 we were gonna have a work stoppage of some sort. So I'm happy that they the two sides definitely seem to be legitimately working on coming to an agreement. Um, this part of it, I, I definitely enjoy. Um, I think I'm restricting the use of the tags to only one per season. Uh, versus having both the franchise tag and the transition tag at their disposal, which obviously plays into some of what the Buccaneers are going to have to deal with. We actually have a voicemail about that very topic that I think we're going to get to tomorrow or Friday. Wait, um, right, tomorrow is Friday. Yeah, so I think we're getting into it tomorrow. I know Evan is planning on writing something about the CBA. He's been, he's been following CBA stuff very closely um, because, yeah, because if you can only tag one player, what do you do if you're the Buccaneers with Shaquille Barrett and James Winston? I have my answer. I think I know your answer, but we'll get into that at another time. But yeah, interesting stuff. Looking forward to it. But again, uh, I don't know what to tell you. If you're, if you're throwing seven pick sixes a year, 30 interceptions, even 20 interceptions and, you know, giving away two games worth of possessions to your opponent, you're not going to be in the playoffs even when they expanded to seven teams. So,
0: all right, well, David, let's wrap things up with the uh, the food questions. We had Matt from Morven, Georgia, uh, ask us how we like our steaks cooked. And then I believe it was Chris again. Was it Chris that asked us? Um, no. Um, okay, no, it was Chef. Uh, chef, in response to my Popeye's rant, Chef Aaron asked, um, and he says, and I quote, Here's one, and there literally is only one right answer, wings, boneless or traditional. So let's start with Matt's. uh, He had said, how do you like your steak cooked? He said, rare is the only answer. I will slightly, slightly disagree with that. Uh, The answer is medium rare. I will eat rare. I prefer medium rare. Um, Really anything over that, just. Save the money. Go buy a bag of beef jerky, especially if you're a well-done steak person. Like, get out. Get out. It's You're eating a charcoal briquette. Knock it off. You have no idea the amount of flavor that you're missing. So medium rare is the the highest that I will go. If it's medium, I end up having to drown it in A1 just so that it doesn't take me an hour and a half to chew it.
1: Uh, so I prefer my steak medium. Uh, however, uh, I, I usually get it well done because my wife is, is absolutely terrified of, I don't say terrified. That's a bad word to use. She, she hates any pink or red in, in red meat. So for her sake, I, I just get it done, uh, enough. Um, but if I make it, usually it's, 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 it's medium. Um, if my mother makes it, then it's pretty much raw. And I don't argue because she's like Korean Korean and I'm like born in Oklahoma, but I'm Korean. And so she starts using words. I don't understand. And I just (laughs) want it to be over. So I just eat it. I'm a big fan of your mom right now. (laughs) So that's, that's my answer on the steak and then the wings. uh, It's, it's bone in. I mean, I, I will enjoy the, like, I like Sonic's boneless wings on the occasion. I eat Sonic, which is very off, often, but when I do, I will get their boneless wings. I don't mind them. Uh, like I said, on the, on yesterday's episode, Popeye's had boneless wings for a little while. They were okay. Um, but most places their boneless wings are way too heavy on the breading and it's just disgusting. So traditional, no breading, just sauce or dry rubs. And you're good to go. And blue cheese is the most disgusting thing ever created.
0: Ah, good call on that one. Yeah, the only right answer is traditional wings. You have to do the bone-in. Number one, it's a better flavor. And I I don't understand how how people don't get that. If you cook something with the bone-in, it doesn't matter if it's chicken or it's pork or it's steak or whatever. It has a better flavor because the flavor comes out of the bone. So first and foremost that you're going to have a more flavorful meat um i'm not i'm not saying i dislike boneless wings sometimes i'm in a mood where i want to just really dunk a boneless wing in some ranch and and have at it and yeah i'll i'll go that route but no if if my choices are boneless or bone in it, it's bone in 100% of the time there are some places where i do like the breading on the bone-in wings, uh, we have a, a local spot here called Frickers, and they have the best wings. These things are massive, and you can get them breaded or unbreaded. I prefer the breaded because it's not real crazy super thick, uh, and it is really, really good. Um. So, yeah, and blue cheese is disgusting and should be banned from uh, America.
1: Yes, 100%. I, I support that. I will vote for you come this November um yeah there's nothing okay about blue cheese yeah so here's the real question drums or flats i like flats i love flats those are my favorite flats are my favorite um doesn't mean i don't like
0: drums but you know i i prefer flats
1: i'll take them but i'll tell you right now if i get an order of wings i open that sucker up first thing i do is count the ratio and if there's if there's anything more than 33 percent drums i get mad See, and and
0: that's the thing is having worked in some restaurants that served wings, we tended to give more flats than drums. Because we did have the occasional orders for drums only. Mm-hmm. But when you go um, you know, when when you're buying in bulk and everything, you can actually get away with making more money off of giving them the flats. Yeah. So yeah, we most places, I think, kind of follow that. That's why they charge you so much for the for the all drums orders. Yeah. Um So, yeah, that's that's more of a money thing. But, yeah, I prefer the flats anyway. So yeah, I've it.
1: heard that before because I guess there's like more meat or whatever on the drum. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, it's a weight. Like, so I don't care. <laughs> so all right
0: well david that is going to do it for this episode we got one more episode left we got a couple voicemails we're going to get to we're going to tackle some xfl fridays and now we need another you know we need another debate question if you want to round out this week by asking us one more food question bring it on but you know
1: we have a debate question it's a weird one it's a weird one (laughs) it's a weird one i'm not sure i really want to know your answer but anyway we'll play is it it about food no, it's a voicemail, but we'll we'll, get, we'll do it. Okay. Well,
0: we need another food question anyway because we've done food all week. We've talked about chicken sandwiches. We have talked about tacos. We talked about wings. We talked about steak. Send us dessert questions. Give us a dessert question. We gotta we gotta finish out all these entrees with something sweet. Okay. You can ask us a question about cookies, candies, cakes, pies, whatever. Send us a dessert question. Let me see what you can come up with. Please. We didn't get a beverage question. Oh, we didn't get a beverage question.
1: I mean, I don't know what's up with that. I mean, the L.O.B. crowd is slipping, I guess.
0: Would you rather talk about beverages or desserts, though?
1: I mean, why can't we do both?
0: Well, I guess we could do both. All right. We need a beverage question from someone, and we need a dessert question from someone. And then apparently we have a wacky voicemail that David is afraid for me to answer. So. Please send us your voicemails to 813 444 5841. You can send all Buccaneer, NFL, XFL, and food related questions to the at locked on Bucks account. Of course, I am at jarco underscore Bucks. David is at dh82 underscore Bucks. And the website is at Bucks underscore Nation. Make sure you're checking out bucksnation.com for everything David, myself, and the whole crew is doing hope you all have an absolutely outstanding day. We thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked On Box.